Good morning, everyone. So today our gospel parable can be interpreted in what we call an eschatological fashion. Eschatological, the Greek word eschaton, it's the sort of fancy Catholic theological way of talking about the theology of the last things, death, judgment, hell, and heaven. And so, for the most part, the gospel today deals with heaven, what Matthew calls the kingdom of heaven, the eternal wedding banquet to which we are all invited. And we see that some have no real desire to attend that wedding banquet. But the parable reminds us that heaven is our ultimate goal, that on this earth, we're just passers-by. We're people on a journey towards heaven. And so we should always have that in our sight, to be with the Lord for all eternity, a great desire, a great striving for heaven. And in fact, heaven, our ultimate goal, where we are destined, final cause, if you will, should help to interpret every other aspect of our lives. The way we act, our family life, our life in church, and also, in particular, our living in a society and our politics. St. Augustine was the one who really sort of fleshed this out in his book, The City of God, by saying that we as humans, as baptized Christians in particular, have a dual citizenship. One in the city of man, that's on this earth, but also in the city of God, in heaven. And that the city of man should be seen in light of the eternal city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so Cardinal Ratzinger, who wrote a lot about faith and politics, said, quote, the new homeland toward which we are journeying is the interior criterion that governs our life and the hope that sustains us in the present day, unquote. So heaven is our homeland, and Ratzinger notes that Christians today, however, tend to sometimes either forget this or to steer away from it. We've been influenced to see our primary task not as seeking heaven, but as taking care of our earth, our society, making it habitable and more just. And, and I'm not denying, and nor will Cardinal Ratzinger deny, that this is important. As I've been talking about over the course of the past several weeks and months, Catholics should care about the world, about the ecology, about social justice. But, as Ratzinger will warn in the work that I'm quoting from, that this desire to provide for the world can easily be twisted by Marxist ideology, where the state is all that matters. Worldly concerns are all that matters, that heaven in a certain sense, and the worst part, doesn't even exist. And so the gospel and things that deal with the faith are pushed off to the side as something that is at best the private sphere, or at worst, poses a threat to the state and its hegemonic control. But Ratzinger clearly states, quote, it is precisely this eschatological attitude, the one of keeping heaven in mind, that guarantees the state its own rights while simultaneously 
resisting absolutism by indicating the boundaries both of the state and of the church in the world, unquote. So he's not advocating theocracy. He's not advocating that somehow the pope should rule the world or that somehow we should have a government ruled by the church. But he's saying it's very clear in scripture and Catholic tradition that states have a right to exist. Governments have a right to exist. And Christians maintaining their faith ought to be a part. But at the same time, he says, that the church, quote, puts up a barrier against the omnipotence of the state, unquote. The 20th century, if we know our history, has clearly shown how easy it is for governments to strive for an earthly utopia and then eventually spiral into totalitarianism. Now, I'm not saying that this is necessarily the path that the United States is going on. But this should be a reminder to us as Christians and Catholics how easily things in history can go astray if we do not keep our path clear, our focus on our heavenly homeland, and interpret our world in view of that criterion. Now I'm going to say, though, that I think, from my own experience, that the loss of this heavenly eschatological outlook it's part and parcel of something bigger. It's part and parcel of our overall loss of the sense of the sacred, of that which is holy. And it's difficult even for really devout Christians and Catholics to maintain in our very, very secular and technocratic world. We don't need God, it seems, in the same way that generations before. But the reality is that the events of the past week in our state, you know what I'm talking about, should be a reminder that although we as humans might lose a sense of the sacred, Satan and those who serve him never do. They understand what is holy. Talked a lot about this lately, the reality of spiritual warfare and malevolent personal spiritual forces impacting our lives, our families, and our society. And I wasn't fear-mongering then, and I'm not fear-mongering now, but nor was I then or now speaking figuratively, as if there's some sort of an impersonal evil in the world. Satan is real. Demons are real, and they wage a war against heaven, the church, and all that is holy. Now, I've been a priest for over 20 years. I'm not an exorcist, but I know enough about how these things work. And there are three things. You can ask just about any priest who has any experience. Three things that I know Satan and those who serve him know are holy and actively work against in the world to desecrate them and to pervert them. Three things. The first is the Eucharist and the Mass and, and in all things that are associated with it, especially altars, tabernacles, chalices, crucifixes, and also sacred persons. You or I may doubt Christ's true presence in the Eucharist and the meaning of the Mass, but Satan and his followers do not. They know what happens in this sanctuary at every Mass. 
The second thing that they know is sacred is the marital act and those things associated with the gift of human sexuality. Now, most ancient cultures, in their own sort of limited way, knew that these things were more than simply biological impulses or functions. That there's something sacred there which symbolizes the union of God with creation. From the Christian perspective, it's the mystical marriage of Christ with his bride, the church. Satan understands this and will stop at nothing to twist and pervert and desacralize this. And third and finally, the innocence and purity of young children. Federal agents and prosecutors can't even begin to explain to you the vast amount of utter depravity that they see on a daily basis proliferating in the darkest corners of the internet. However, the greatest sacrilege is the deliberate taking of the most innocent and defenseless of lives when they are little babies, but more importantly, the unborn. The false god in the Old Testament that Yahweh railed against the most, would tolerate nothing of, was the god Milcom or Moloch, the pagan god who desired the sacrifice of children. And so from this last point in particular, I ask you to consider this. Many Catholics claim that we make too big of a deal about abortion. Another non-Catholic say the same thing. That there are other issues that are just as important that somehow if you qualitatively add them all, quantitatively add them all together, they outweigh the impact of abortion. And to be honest, I'm not too sure that Catholics are the ones really making the big deal about it. My opinion, that those individuals who are radically pro-choice, the one non-negotiable is abortion at all stages of development up to birth no matter what the cost. This is not tolerating the evil of abortion in a culture. It is promoting this as a good in our society and culture. And there's no compromise on this. With those who advocate this, those who have the power to advocate it, it's almost like a sacrament, that which they consider the most holy. So I ask you to seriously pray about and consider why are abortion rights as a good, the central tenet of progressivism today? And a dogmatic adherence to this is demanded. No dissension is tolerated. Is it really about freedom and women's rights? Or is there something else, an undercurrent, that we either are unable to or unwilling to see? So, in conclusion, I am not advocating in the first part that Catholics should be disengaged from society, apolitical, or care only about heaven, an exclusion to earthly affairs. Instead, I'm saying that as practicing Catholics, our political and ethical views and decisions should be informed more by our faith than our preferred news station 
or political leanings. Second, I am also not advocating that those who support abortion rights are possessed by the devil, nor should we see demons lurking in every corner. But to remember what St. Paul clearly tells us in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the heavens. What we've seen recently should clearly make this evident to us. One last item in conclusion. There is one other thing that Satan despises along with those other three. However, it is not a thing, it is a person. And that is the Immaculate Mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the dragon in Revelation that chases her, the woman, and spits his poisonous bile at her and her children. An attempt to distort and invert her purity and her humble obedience. But the truth is, in this spiritual war, he has already lost because she has crushed his head. And so I encourage you all, and as I do myself, to entrust yourselves, your families, and our nation to Mary and her son, particularly praying the rosary, and keep fighting the good fight, fight both politically and spiritually, and never, ever lose hope. Amen.